Hello, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. The message you're about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. We're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Now let's join the service already in progress with Pastor West. quite to the point I want to get to last week, but that's fine. As long as we get what we're, what we're talking about, amen, get it on the side of us so that we can give it to someone else and be a blessing to others. If you hadn't got your book yet, we've got the books up here in the box. If you, I think everybody got them. A few people came in. If you hadn't, you got them to them, Julia? Okay. She is on the job. My jaw may be a little swollen. I had a tooth extracted Monday and a bone... Uh, graph done about six stitches so it may look like she hit me in the jaw but she didn't <laughs> she may have wanted to at times but she, she didn't no, I'm just joking amen uh, I'm gonna, real quick I'm going to go over a couple of resources again so you know what, what we have out front and what's available uh, one is the key, to victorious, the key to victorious Christian life it's a small book I believe it's 250 uh, we have a few copies left out on the table uh, also on there there's a uh, his uh, Mike Quarles website information how to contact his ministry everything he has to offer is on his website and that's one thing that's uh, is really good about him and his ministry he has a huge heart and he wants to share the good news with everyone that he can get it to he's been set free from addiction and he wants to set help set as many people as he can free so he's very giving uh, he didn't even charge shipping on the order that we received this week and uh, so he's been a blessing to us also, Miss um, Michelle ran off some copies for me. This is a testimony. It says, how a wife found her freedom by facing her husband's addiction. And, and you'll hear us later on talk about codependency. And, uh, and she was codependent on him. And even though she wasn't addicted to a drug, she was right in the middle of the situation. And she had to make a decision one day to, to say, it's time to, for you to go. And, and that's really the first. He, he, he even makes this confession that the first thing uh, or the best thing that his wife's ever done for him is to tell him to leave, <laughs> to get out. Because he said that was the beginning of his uh, recovery and, and freedom from addiction. So it's a four-page testimony, and it's awesome. I know there's a couple of you here that I've shared it with, have already read it. If you hadn't read it and you want to get a copy, I, I think Miss Michelle ran five or six, seven there in the back table. Those are free. Also, this is a strange odyssey of a legalistic preacher who became a drunk, discovered grace, and was set free. This is Mike Quarles testimony. These are free. They're in the back. I got a testimony this week of, of someone that uh, got, I got this into their hands, and they said, that's me. They said, it identifies me, the situation I'm in, and, um, and thank me for it. And uh, so I believe it's, it's helping them. Amen. So pick one of those up. Uh, and this is something I got in the order when I ordered the books. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how much this is. This is my copy. I've already given two away. But you can, get, like I said, you can go on the website and get these. But this is an awesome devotional. It's called One Day at a Time, uh, the, vo- the, the Devotional for Overcomers. And it goes, like it says, one day at a time. It's got a devotion for every day. And it tells them who they are in Christ, what they have in Christ. It talks about their freedom. And it keeps them built up and, and their faith and courage and strengthened in who they are in Christ. So you can get those two. It's, I believe that would be an awesome tool to get into someone's hands, even for, for us to read. If you're not struggling with addiction, it would still be a blessing. If you are, 
it'd be a, a, a blessing. Amen. Well, we're going to get started. Let me put some of this over here to the side. We're going to uh, do a little review, just a short review of some things we talked about last week and then continue on in lesson one. And see if you got, go ahead and put up, uh, go all the way to about number 12, the little guy with the top hat on I told you about. You can, there you go. He's there. But uh, real quickly, let's pray. I know I went over some resources first, but I want to pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to fellowship around your word. We thank you for sending Jesus for what he accomplished on the cross, for what he laid to our account. Even though we deserved to die the cruel death that he died, he took our place. He became what we were so we can become what he is. And we're so grateful for that tonight, Father. And we thank you for revelation knowledge to come tonight, Father. Not just something that we hear that we say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I, I've read that scripture before. I'm familiar with that. But no, Father, we thank you that it will become alive on the inside of us so that we begin to live as if you live on inside of us because you do. And we begin to see other people the way you see them, Father, with compassion. And you were moved with compassion, Father. So help us to be moved with, with compassion. Help us see us as who we are and what you've made us. Help us see ourselves free because we are free, Father. And if we can do that, then we can go take this freedom to someone else, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to, like I said, we're going to review briefly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple of scriptures to you that are foundational scriptures for our study. Um, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, you can just uh, listen as I read because they're going to be in the message translation. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, what actually took place is this. He said, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. And it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. See, that's the key to what we're talking about. Christ's life showed Paul how to do that, and he enabled him to do it. He didn't do it in his ability, he said, but Christ's ability enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear, appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life that you see me living is not mine, but it's Live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that. How many of you refuse to do that? Amen. To repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Amen. Thank God we've been made free. And then Romans uh, 6, it says, Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer it sends every beck and call. So that means we're not in bondage any longer to sin. When, when, when sin puts pressure on us to do something, we're not under that bondage anymore. We've been set free from sin. Amen. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death. Uh, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. Amen. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think, it of, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, 
and you hang on to every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Amen. We're alive to God and dead to sin. So we've been made free. And what Christ has done is finished. There's nothing we can add to it. Amen. Is what he's done. So that's the basis, the foundation of our study. Um, there's another passage in Hebrews chapter 10, um, verse 12, and the New Living, Tra- New Living Translation says, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor of God's right hand. So that means Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, a single sacrifice for sins, and it's good for how long? All time. Amen. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Amen. Well, if you've got your books, let's open them to page 20. And the place we got to, we were talking about the lie that the church believes about addiction. And the lie that people believe about addiction. And basically what that means is the lie that we believe that there's something that we have to do to add to our freedom in Christ. There's something we have to do physically. We have to work steps or work a program or we have to read enough or pray enough or have enough quiet time. We have to do something. It it just can't be that good. You know, that's what the church has taught for years. It it just can't be that simple that we've already been made free. We've got to do something to, to earn it and to be good enough. And that's what so many people believe that are bound in addiction. They believe that they have to do something to be free. So page 20, and we're going to kind of pick up in the middle here the middle of the paragraph there where it says the tragic reality. Does everyone see that? Right in the middle there. It says the tragic, tragic reality was that as long as I believed that lie, I would wallow in my self-pity and be of no use to anyone. Lies keep people in bondage. Now I want to stop right there just for a moment. And I want to quote a scripture to you. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. The New Living Translation says, because My people are destroyed because they don't know me. So when we have a, a knowledge of the word of God, we know who he is. We know his character, what he's done for us, what belongs to us. So people are destroyed because of a lack of, a no, lack of knowledge and a lack of knowledge of who God really is and what he's really done through Christ and about the finished work of Christ. He said, a number of years ago, I, encouraged, I encountered a prime example of how widespread this lie is among those who are in recovery ministry. I conducted a freedom from addiction workshop at a meeting of the International Union of Gospel Missions. At one of the luncheons, I was seated next to the director of the rescue missions in a certain overseas country. When he learned the story of my struggle with addiction, he asked me, what is your personal program to stay free and not drink? I responded, in all likelihood, it's essential that it's essentially the same as yours. That is to know I'm dead from sin and freed from it and to trust Christ as my life and live by faith. See, that's a key right there. I highlight that in my book. And I would encourage if you've got a highlighter, if you didn't bring one with you tonight and bring one next week, and highlight these, these truths and get them on the inside of you. See, this is a key to it right here. He said, this, he, he, he won't know what his formula was. <laughs> he said, it's probably the same as yours. He said, that is to know I'm dead to sin and I'm freed from it and to trust Christ as my life and live by faith. He said, that's the key. The man was incredulous. I didn't have a program of what I did every day to keep me on track and not to drink. He believed that I was an alcoholic and always would be one. So he couldn't believe it. How, how could you not have a program? How could you not have a plan? He was certain I was one step away or one drink away from plunging back into the thrones of addiction. He said it was up to me and what I, had, uh, what I did to not get drunk because he believed so strongly in this that all the rescue missions in his country gave everyone a program of what they should do to stay sober and clean. 
So all the, the missions that he was over, he gave him a list of, you know, do this, this, and this, and all the steps of do this to stay clean. He said, the question in my mind was, is anyone finding freedom in Christ? Most likely somewhere. God's not limited, and he can work in anybody, anywhere, in any program that he chooses. But as Oswald Chambers said, the only valid ministry anyone has is to point people to Christ. Christ is the answer. Not what we do or what we don't do. Then it says here, moving toward reality. In Romans 7, 24, the Apostle Paul directs us to the ultimate answer for freedom. He asks, who will set me free? It is significant that we didn't ask what will set me free. What you do, follow or observe, will not set you free from addiction. Only a person can do this. We may find that wise steps can strengthen uh, healthy behavior and indeed be helpful, but anytime we think we need anything else to be a good Christian, a good spouse, a good parent, or a good minister, or to get free or to be sanctified, we bought the lie that we need something more than Christ. We're complete in Him, and you cannot get any more complete than that. <laughs> Amen. When you're complete in Christ, there's nothing else you, what else you going to do. Amen. So we don't need to add to anything that He's done to become a better anything. We just accept who we are in Him and believe that. We made this statement last week, and I know we'll look at it again, but you know, there's nothing on the outside, uh, outside actions uh, that we can do to, get to, to help someone become free. It's not, it's not changing behavior. You see what I'm saying? There's nothing we can do to change a person's behavior to get them free. What we do is we change the belief system about who they are in Christ and become a re- uh, have a realization of that a revelation. is really a revelation. You know, you can have a, a head knowledge about something, but not have a heart revelation. It won't do you any good. You know, you can say it in good teaching. Amen. Like Pastor used the example of Sunday, I believe. He said, you can go in a grocery store and live in a grocery store and have groceries all around you. But if you don't partake of the groceries and eat what's available to you, then you'll die uh, uh, from starvation and you've got all this supply around you. Amen. Well, Christ is a finished work. Amen. It's done. It's finished. But what will we believe and receive? See, it comes from a lack of knowledge. But once we see it, it can't just be head knowledge. It's got to be a heart revelation. And that's what we have to help people to get to, to see themselves. Identification, that's me. I see myself, that I've been uh, crucified with him. I died with him. I was buried with him. And now I'm raised up to newness of life with him. And the life that I now live, I don't overcome this addiction by my ability. But I'm already free in Christ. You see the difference? And when they get to that point, then they're free. Amen? Doesn't mean they won't ever have temptation. Doesn't mean their flesh won't ever have desires. Doesn't mean their flesh doesn't have tendencies and habits that were there. And, and, and flesh patterns that they remember. Amen. And when I lost 80 pounds, or actually 90 pounds, I've gained about 25 of it back. But you know, I had, my flesh had certain tendencies. You know, when I eat pizza, I, instead of wanting to, you know, eating two slices, I want to eat six or eight. That's what my flesh wanted to do. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But, but we have to make a choice and a decision, and, and, and it's by his ability. It's not an, an ability of our flesh, it's by his ability. Amen. Grace is an ability. The ability of God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves in our own strength. Hallelujah. So if we look to him and focus on what he's done, we believe the truth that we don't need to shape ourselves up or get our act together. <laughs> Why? Because the old self was crucified with Christ. It's dead and buried and there's no more. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. Now go to, uh, go to the next slide. I actually skip on down one, two... Three, four, 
You want uh, going down to the next one? Next. It says, the, the dead man came out and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Grave clothes are lies that we believe about who we are. Insecure, inadequate, inferiors, sinner, addict, etc. They can only be removed by faith in the truth of who we are and what we have in Christ. And go to the next. This is the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He said, the old man is not there. The only way to stop living as if he were still there is to realize that he's not there. That is a New Testament method of teaching sanctification. The whole trouble is with us is this. Or that the whole trouble with us, says the New Testament, is that we do not realize who we are, that we still go on thinking we're the old self and go on trying to do things to the old self that has been done. The old self was crucified with Christ. He is non-existent. He is no longer there. If we but saw this as we should, we would really begin to live as Christians in this life. Amen. Next. Try to improve self is like trying to, or, or trying to improve self is to try to improve the flesh. It's trying to shape up the old self who is dead. Could you imagine that? Trying to make a dead person look better. You know, I remember uh, that this kind of date, some of you remember it, and it's not a, don't go look up the movie, it's not any good, it's trash. I wouldn't watch it, wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but there's an old movie named Weekend at, I think it's called Weekend at Bernie's. And, uh, <laughs> and they took a fella, you know, that had died, and they were taking him around to different places and party, you know, and, and Scott's acting, back, acting out back there. You know, they set him up in the chair, put glasses on him, a hat, you know, at one point his arm was going around doing all this, and they were trying to set up a, a dead man, make him look alive. They dressed him up and try to fool people, you know, to get him passed through, passed through as actually still being there. Well, that's what it's like when we try to take an old man that's dead that doesn't even live anymore and try to dress him up and fix him up. That's what it's like. It's trying to make him better. You can't make him better. You just have to count him dead. He's dead. Glory to God. So the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing, according to John 6, 63. Nothing in our flesh there's nothing in our flesh that can be improved. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Romans 6, 6 and 7. Now, let's go back to the book. Down there under the quote, it says, In other words, if we try to shape up the old person who is not there, there's nothing... Uh, this is nothing but trying to shape up and improve the flesh, which cannot be shaped up. There was nothing in the old person that you were that could be shaped up. There's nothing in our flesh that can be improved. So God took care of the problem, and we can say with Paul, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin, according to Romans 6, 6 and 7. We are raised up with Christ and are new creations. The new person we are is dead to sin and is holy, righteous, and blameless. We are in Christ. Christ is in us, and Christ is our life. Freedom is our birthright. As a child of God, it is something, or it is not something we have to work for, but something we need to believe is our rightful inheritance, and it is finished. I highlighted that. That's something you need to highlight and mark and get this down on inside of us. Pastors taught us this.
It's not something we have to work for, but it's something we need to believe is our rightful inheritance. It's finished. Glory to God. Amen. Now, let's review just a couple more slides real quick. The next one is, uh, says, can a Christian be an addict? And it's asking some questions here. Now, you have to be careful how you answer that. Some people say, well, of course a Christian can be an addict. Well, it does. He, he's not saying that a, a person that's born again cannot, cannot be addicted to a drug. But what he's talking about, the real person, the real you, the real me, the real one that we are on the inside, the new man, cannot be addicted to a substance because we've been made brand new in Christ. Now, now, now let's get into what I'm talking about here. He said, a born, uh, a born again believer who is a new creation in Christ, he's asking the question, who is one spirit with Christ and Christ is their life, who is in Christ and Christ is in them, whose life is hidden with Christ in God, who is dead to sin and is freed from it, who is regenerated, forgiven, and justified. And it cut off the bottom of my page here. Says, who is regenerated, forgiven, justified, sanctified, glorified, and Christ lives in them. Can a Christian be an addict? No way. <laughs> no way. Next. He said, you have to change your theology to get free. Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth sets you free and lies keep you in bondage. If your theology is correct, you'll be free. Most Christians have a theology of legalism. And you got the little guy there and he says, if you read your Bible, pray and go to church, you'll be free. Do it. <laughs> Just do it. Get with it. Get with the program and you'll be free. <laughs> the problem is not you. There's nothing wrong with you as, as Christ is your life and you're dead to sin and freed from it. The problem is and the lies that you believe about self. You're a new creation who is righteous, holy, blameless, and complete in Christ. The problem is you believe you have a deceitful, uh, the problem is you believe you have a deceitful and desperately wicked heart. You've gotten your identity from your feelings, bad behavior, and wrong theology. You believe that, you're, that your flesh is who you are. But our flesh is not who we are. Is that correct? Amen. We've been made brand new in Christ. Never existed before. Glory to God. Now, let's go back to the book. There's a little quote there on page 23, I believe, is where we stop. It says, both of us used to think having quiet time would make us strong and enable us to do what is right. It's talking about Mike and Steve both. And, uh, is that right? Is that where we stopped? It said, uh, yeah. Oh, we stopped on 22. Okay. Okay. I had this other part highlighted. The question of identity it says, if a Christian recovery ministry uses the 12 steps, which most do, then most of us have a person, uh, have a person identify themselves as an alcoholic or addict. And I'm sure you've all heard that before. And they go in and have the meetings and they say, you know, my name's such and such and I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. And they confess it up front. But is that true? Is a born-again believer who is a new creation in Christ and one with him an alcoholic or addict at the core of their identity? Can't be true. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. No addiction defines a person's true identity. In Christ, we are a new creation 
and are identified by his life, not by our bad behavior. The Apostle Paul had the best idea when he said, from now on, let's not know anybody by his or her flesh. Let's renounce the lie that Christ doesn't completely deliver people from addiction and the, and the lie that Christians are still sin-loving sinners. In chapter 4, we'll take an in-depth look at our identity in Christ. And you'll see that what you believe about yourself determines your behavior. And if a person believes that they're an addict, they will never be free. So that's key. If a person believes that they're an addict or an alcoholic, they'll never be free. They have to break that identity and identify with who they are in Christ. Why are so many Christians unwilling to change this approach? After all, they're committed to Christ, sincerely want to follow him and to help others. The evidence indicates that they're unwilling to change. If, they cha if that change is not in accord with their beliefs, I was a prime example. As a full-time Christian worker, seminary graduate, and a former pastor, I wanted my life to count for Christ. As I struggled with my addiction and my life spiraled out of control, I believed with all my heart that my problem was that I couldn't do what I knew was right. I believed with all my heart I knew what to do. I would pray, read the Bible, trust Christ, and so on, but I just couldn't do it. The problem was I had bought the lie. If I could just do the right things, I would get free. I had to change my beliefs, my theology, before I could experience freedom. And, and this is Mike and Steve both said, both of us used to think that having quiet time would make us strong and enable us to do what is right. See, they're not against quiet time. They're not against reading their Bible. They're not against praying. Don't get that idea that they're not against any of these things. All these things are good, but the things that we do is not what makes us free. We're already free. Amen. He said, I recently talked to a man who directs a large recovery ministry for both men and women. We were discussing why some people seem to be free and, uh, but then return to their addiction. I shared what I believe. The man seemed to agree with me, but at the end of the conversation, so that's usually when it changes. He seemed to agree with him, but at the end of the conversation, uh, he said he believed that their fall happened because they didn't continue to do what his ministry taught them to do, such as reading their Bible, praying, having da daily quiet time, and so on. This man, who is very godly and gifted minister, believes it is up to the person to do the right things to stay free. Now look at this next chapter, next uh, paragraph right here. He said, we don't believe that. <laughs> we don't believe that. We highly value our time spent with the Lord in the scriptures and prayer, but it's not what we do that helps us. Rather, it is our faith in Christ behaving in a way that is constructive and, and not destructive is a product of freedom. See, when we do things that are constructive and not destructive and things that are good, that's a product of our freedom. See, because we've been made free, we want to do good. Because we've been made free in Christ, we want to give to the poor. We want to, to feed the homeless. We want to do good to others because we've been made free in Christ. Amen? The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart, but it's not the things that we do that gets us free. It's not the things that we do that makes us holy and righteous. Amen? So he's not saying they're not good. They are good. It's not what we do that helps. Uh, these things that we do is not what helps us, but it's our faith in Christ and his finished work. Amen. Then the last paragraph there, it says, there were many times, this is Mike talking, that I would have an hour and sometimes two hours of quiet time and yet be drunk that evening. Now, we're not advocating giving up a quiet time, but we know that doing it in and of itself will not set us free or keep us free. Both of us used to think that having a quiet time would make us strong and enable us to do what is right. We now know that that is not true. If I don't believe that apart from Christ, I can do nothing and trust him to be my life, it won't make any difference how long my quiet time is. If what we believe or our theology is true, 
We will, will be free because truth sets us free and Jesus Christ is the truth. Glory to God. Truth sets us free and Jesus Christ is the truth. Page 24. It says, most Christians have no idea about how Satan works in the area of unbelief. He's the father of lies and the deceiver. And if he can get you to believe a simple lie, he can keep you from experiencing what is yours in Christ. He can make your life a living hell, even though heaven is your destination. Hardly a day passes that we don't hear from a Christian who is going through this kind of hell on earth. No one has ever told them, just as no one ever told Mike. The problem is not you. There's nothing wrong with you. The problem is in the lies that you believe. Nobody has ever told them. The answer is not what you do, but what Jesus has done, and he's done everything for you to be free. It's already done. This is good news. The gospel is not an announcement that we must do something, but it's an announcement of what's already been done. Amen. The gospel is not an announcement to do or die or to try your best. It is an announcement that it's all been done. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Did Jesus accomplish what he came for? Amen. Didn't he accomplish what he came for? As he was dying on the cross, he said, it is finished. And you and I are the recipients of what he accomplished. He came to set the captives free and free those who are oppressed. And he's done it. There's nothing we can add to that. All that we can do is share the great, grand, and glorious news that he's, his finished work on the cross has done everything necessary for us to live in peace, freedom, and joy. Glory to God. And let's review a few more slides here. We'll be done with chapter one. Most have no idea of Satan's ways. He's the father of lies, the deceiver. If he can get you to believe a lie, he can keep you from experiencing freedom and keep you in bondage and control your life in certain areas. Deception is the only reason the Christian's in bondage. Truth sets you free. Lies keep you in bondage. Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you're fighting, struggling, and trying to stop your addiction, you're get, getting deeper into it. See, you know, the world tells us just to try harder. You know, buckle down. Like we said, I think, last week, you know, in the South, a lot of times we're go-getters. You know, buckle down, boy, get with it. Get with the program. But it tells us right here that when we're fighting and struggling to try to stop the addiction, really what we're doing is we're getting deeper into it. But why? Because we're dependent more on, on ourselves, on our flesh, our ability, that we can do it. We can overcome it when we can't in the flesh. He's already done it. Amen. So we see that that's when we're trying to prop up that old man and, and walk him through the party. <laughs> You're getting deeper into it. So the answer is not what you do. The answer is what Jesus has done on the cross. He's done everything for you to be free. The gospel is an announcement of what's already been done. It's an announcement to not to do, or announcement to do or die or try harder, but to believe it was for freedom that he set you free. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. You see that? The body of sin was what? Done away with. It wasn't covered up. It wasn't made better. It was done away with. 
that we should, be no, uh, should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So a dead man has been set free from sin. Glory to God. And when we're in Christ, the old man is dead. Glory to God. And we've already quoted the scripture in Luke 4, 18. Did Jesus accomplish what he came for? Sure he did. It's finished. There's nothing to do but believe the truth that he's done everything necessary for us to live in peace, freedom, and joy, regardless of how you feel, how you think, or what it seems or looks like. Amen. Now, let's begin in uh, chapter 2. You got that one ready, Elliot? In this chapter, it's going to be talking about uh, what addiction really is. And, uh, and you know, the world, most people in the world, and, and, and especially in treatment centers today, they, they want to call addiction a disease. It says disease, but, you know, he'll tell you here what he teaches, what we're going to get into that is worse than a disease. It's spiritual bondage. Not just a disease, you know. They want, to, they want to put it off as being a disease because that way they can tell you that really you'll never get over it. You know, it's kind of like an incurable disease that you can bandage it up. You can, it's kind of like the example we used last week about his wife when she goes to the beauty shop. You know, she says her hair is a mess and we've got to go get this fixed. She goes in, comes out, and looks better because she fixed, got a new hairdo or whatever, but she's still the same person. And that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to fix the symptoms, but they don't ever deal with the problem. And the problem is that it's a spiritual bondage. It's not just a, a disease. Uh, so it's worse than disease. We're going to look at a bi biblical perspective on addiction and its root cause. Next. What we'll cover in today's webinar or the seminar we're having tonight. We're going through these. They messed up my page on here. The words are jumbled up. Is, is addiction a disease? Why are so many or why are so few getting free? What is addiction? The problem of addiction. What is the flesh? How can we get into bondage? or how we get into bondage, our false identity, entrenchment of addiction. That's the last one. Yeah, that's the last one. So, chapter number two. Addiction is so pervasive and so difficult to get free from that the world has developed its own perspective on it. They've determined that, that the root problem of addiction is that it is a disease. This neatly explains the problem and why it's impossible from their perspective to find freedom from it. In recent years, medical studies have offered evidence that suggests there may be a genetic propensity toward addiction in some people, but to uh, summarily relegate addictive behavior to the category of disease greatly diminishes hope in Christ for victory over it. A post-nasal drip sufferer will probably have a sore throat and their behavior will be affected by it. But nobody would assign them an identity based on that condition, condition and suggest that they could never be free from it. Or as a pastor's friend, friend of ours said, I have a genetic predisposition to want to have sex with every attractive woman I meet, but that's just my flesh. It's not who I am. You have to know the difference. Many suggest that because addiction is a disease, you will never be cured from it, cured or freed from it. And the best you can do is learn to cope. That is why the step 12 steps were developed. Since a person has an incurable disease, the best way they can hope for it is to admit and work a program that includes attending meetings regularly, doing what they should, not drinking or using, avoiding people, places, and things that might trip them up. In all secular 12-step programs, many Christians 
and many Christian ones that uh, participants are bombarded relentlessly with the notion that if they, don't, if they don't work the program, the only outcome left for them is to drink, to use, or to die. You know, that's even a bondage within itself. You know, they think if I can't make it to my next meeting or they can't get a hold of their sponsor or what happens if, if, I, if I can't get here or there or whatever, then it's a fear and a bondage that the enemy puts on them. But what is that? That's all in their strength. It's all in their ability. And when they fail, they say, well, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess I don't have what it takes. I guess I'm not holy enough. I guess I just don't have the strength. He's an example of a, a millionaire. He went to Chattanooga one time way up on top of Lookout Mountain. And he was visiting with a millionaire that was a, just an alcoholic. I mean, he was, he was basically whole, losing his whole family bound to alcohol. So he gave him some books and some tapes and went and visited with him, counseled with him several times. And finally, after a few weeks, he came back to visit with him again. He said, I guess I just don't have what it takes. And he's, he's trying to, he's like, you're not, you're not getting it. He said, I just, I guess I just don't have what it takes. I don't have the, uh, he said, I just don't have the strength and ability to do it. And what he told him, he said, no, what your problem is, you're too strong. Your problem is that you're trying to do it in your strength and your ability and you're not dying. You're not seeing yourself dead with Christ and you're not completely coming to the end of self and letting him be all, letting him do it. Let it, let it be his ability. He said, you're, you're really too, too strong. Yeah. See, it's not about, I don't have the strength. Most people are being too strong and not allowing Christ to come in and that freedom that he's already provided and depending on that. Yeah. Amen. So, uh, this is a convincing argument, but it's based on a correct understanding of the problem. If not, no matter how sincere we are, how hard we try, we'll not find a satisfactory solution. As the story goes, when the airline pilot greeted the passengers over the intercom, he announced, I have some good news and some bad news. <laughs> I don't know if I like to hear that. <laughs> You're on an airplane. He said, the good news is we're making excellent time. But the bad news is we don't know where we're headed. <laughs> but if we start from a biblical perspective on addiction, we'll see that it's worse than an incurable disease. It's a spiritual bondage. And programs that rely on what the person has to do just don't cut it. The good news is that God has an answer for spiritual bondage. And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. John eight thirty six. Free indeed is not a term that you will hear in a 12-step program. <laughs> free indeed is not a term that you will hear in a 12-step program. I read it again. Secular or Christian. What is heard in AA, for example, is don't drink. Read the big book work the program, and go to meetings. When Paul asked in Romans 7, 24, who will set me free, there was an answer. It was, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, Christ our Lord, the answer is, who is Jesus, not what a program. Amen. Glory to God. See, this applies to everything in our life. You, you may be here tonight and say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not addicted to anything. I don't really have. This applies to everything in our life. He has set us free. Amen. From depression from lack, from sickness, from disease, from poverty. Amen. Amen. From addiction. Different types of addiction. Amen. So we have to see ourselves free. We are free before we can take freedom to someone else. Amen. So before we try to have a ministry to those who are with addictive behaviors, we need to look more deeply at the spiritual bondage of addiction. What is it? What causes it? A biblical understanding will give us a better understanding of what is needed. What is biblical and what is so basic that if we overlook it, we'll begin to go astray. So let's ask the question, what is addiction? The American Heritage Dictionary says addiction is a quality or condition of being or condition of being addicted. 
especially to a habit-forming substance. The Oxford American Dictionary defines to be addicted as to devote or apply habitually or compulsively. That's a good definition of addictive behavior. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35 gives a colorful description. And this is all the scripture is amazing, but this fits what we're talking about to, to detail. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. It says, who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous serpent. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You are staggered like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when it, uh, I didn't even know when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? So at the end of all that, they ask themselves, when will I wake up so I can look for another drink? And I also highlighted this in the book. Now, a rational person might ask, why would a person, and I know many of you here tonight would ask the same question, why would a person who has just experienced all these bad results want to repeat what brought all these things on? You know, if they went through all those things, if they got beat up, (laughs) and we're not going to take any testimonies tonight if any of you have been there before, why would somebody that got beat up, maybe got left for dead, why would they go back? You know, at the, at the age of 12 years old, I was left, left for dead in, in a, the backyard of my neighbor's, neighbor's house. I was intoxicated, even though I was still in the world. And he left me for dead because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble. In fact, I found out later he tried to stuff me in a well. Thank God he didn't, wasn't successful because I wouldn't be standing here tonight. But I drank too much uh, white lightning, which was my nickname for about two years after that at school, which I wasn't proud of. And, uh, but I didn't even know I was in the world and he tried to get me out of his house so he wouldn't get in trouble. He drug me out in the yard and left me there, tried to get me, but he couldn't, he couldn't get me where he wanted to go. I was too heavy. He couldn't get me in the well. So he just left me on the ground and thank God my mom came. She was searching for me. She shined a flashlight out in the yard, saw my body laying there in the grass, called the ambulance. They couldn't even hardly find a pulse. And, uh, I woke up the next day in, in the hospital, but did I quit? No. <laughs> Why? Because I was trying to fulfill feel a need and a hurt from the situation I was experiencing at home with my parents being divorced and separated and a bad self-image and things that, you know, that's the reason people do these type of things. Why do they go back? Because they're trying to fill a need and it does meet a need temporarily. You know, when they drink, they feel better. When they shoot up, they feel better temporarily. There's certain things that meets a need and you may not can understand that, but that's why they do what they do because it's meeting the need temporarily. But it's all a lie from the devil. Amen. It's a trap. It's a lie from Satan. But thank God it, a few years after that I got set free. Amen. <laughs> and, and when Christ set me free, he set me free indeed. Amen. Glory to God. For I guess about uh, be close to 30, 29 years I guess. And uh, glory to God. Took the desire, amen, set me completely free from it. 
Amen. Now, so a rational person might ask, why would a person who has just experienced all these bad results want to repeat what brought these things on? There's only one reasonable explanation. Addiction is spiritual bondage. 2 Peter 2.19 sums it up. By what a man has overcome, by this he is enslaved. For eight years, I, Mike, seemed intent on destroying everything in my, li- in my life that was good. But at the same time, I was trying anything I could and everything suggested to me to stop. But I kept repeating the destructive behavior. I remember thinking, has there ever been a time since I became a Christian that I've enjoyed getting drunk? That I would want to repeat it? And the answer was no. Why did I re- keep repeating it? I was in spiritual bondage. As I tried and struggled, I sank deeper into the addiction. Addiction doesn't affect your mind, body, and emotions, but the bondage, or addiction does affect your mind, body, and emotions, but the bondage is primarily spiritual. And until that is addressed, the best that you can hope for is to learn to cope. And it says, see the the problem of addiction chart below. And Elliot, if you put that up, uh, I believe it's the next... Addiction affects the body and physical addiction is a result. However, there's a very small part of the problem. For example, all secular drug and alcohol programs put a person in detoxification treatment as a first step. In almost every case, they're effectively detoxed from the chemical in a week or less. How many of you don't, like I said, we're not taking testimonies. You don't have to raise your hand, but you know that's the truth. Or maybe you've had a family member that did that a week or less, the drugs that was in their system the alcohol, whatever it is, they're detoxed, and that's out of their physical flesh. But the bondage, the addiction is not gone. It's still there, even though the, the effects of it, uh, of the chemicals gone. Of course, this does not begin to get to the root of the problem. The solution for the physical part of the addiction is to abstain from the behavior or drinking or using. The result of following this solution would be behavior change. As the person is in bondage, however, they are unable to abstain. So they're trying to change the behavior. By abstaining, but it doesn't affect the root of the problem, which is spiritual bondage. Addiction also affects the emotions and results in emotional habituation. The solution for the emotional part of the addiction is to cope healthily, and the result of implementing the solution will be to improve oneself, resulting in a behavior change. The emotions and the body are the only two areas the secular can deal with. So that's the only thing the world knows what to do. The only thing the world can deal with is the emotions and the body, the flesh, the physical side of it. And those areas are where the majority of the programs in the world have their focus. But unless the spiritual is addressed, there will be no freedom. Now, you've seen the chart there, and we've talked about it, but problem of addiction in the body, the physical addiction, the cure for it is to abstain. Uh, the issue is change your actions, and the result is a behavior change. It's what their goal is. Souls, emotional habituation, cope with, the, cope with what's going on. You, the issue is your feelings to prove oneself. But the spirit is what we, where, where Jesus comes in. The spiritual bondage, the cure is the cross, the issue is your identity, and the result is a brand new person. See, that's identification of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So how addiction develops and why it becomes so entrenched. We just got a few more minutes here. We'll be done with a, with a lesson for tonight. I think everybody's got the book if you wanted to 
take it home. You can uh, review what we studied, go through it. I'd encourage you to go through it, mark, uh, go back to the first chapter and read through it, mark through and highlight things that stand out to you and get this on inside of you. So how addiction develops and why it becomes so entrenched. When we come into this world, we have a few basic needs. This is very important. We have a need to be loved and accepted and a need to have worth and value. This is the way God made us. And the only way those needs will be fully met is in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But we don't have a relationship with him when we are born. And so we go about meeting those needs the best way that we can. We develop ways to perform, succeed, deal with problems and stress, how to cope, protect, defend, relate, survive, and so on. We develop a self-life, an independent way of living in our own resources apart from God. The Bible calls this flesh. So, see, when we're born, we have a, a need. We have basic needs to be accepted. How many of you know you, everybody in here wants to be accepted? You don't like to be rejected. We all want to be accepted. We have a need to, to have worth and to have value. Uh, and it may be here in just, I think we're going to read it here in just a minute, but uh, I've noticed going downtown with Miss Michelle and Jamie and, uh, and, and the ministry there, when you get around those homeless people, it's, it's, it's funny to see, or unique, I should say, to see that there are certain people that they've set up their own identity. You know, they've got, it's almost like within their community, they've got their own identity built, and within that community is how they identify themselves and who they are. They have ways of communicating. It may not even be English through actions. There's one guy, you know, you just don't mess with him. If he don't want to talk, you don't talk to him. I went to him and greeted him one day. How you doing, sir? God bless you. You know, he, he just let me know real quick and kind of, he's a big dude too. He got some muscles and had a tank top on. I just said, praise the Lord. You know, I just kind of stepped back, walked away a little bit. You know, we saw a guy Saturday. <laughs> he had on a Speedo and, and a um, do-rag bandana on the backside and one on the front and had on, pulled his socks up, you know, had on like he's riding, and had his bicycle over there like he's riding his bicycle, you know. And then he had about, 15 pieces of white tape with a patchwork on his leg. And he said that was a war injury, you know, on his leg right there. <laughs> Had his, his bandages on there. But what I'm saying is that everybody that's born is alive. We have a basic need to be loved, to be accepted, and to have an identity. We want to fit in. We want to identify with something. And even these people in their own group, in their own world, they have an identity that they've set up. And people know some of them are the loud ones. that has got to be in charge. It's going to break through the line. They're going to let everybody know you don't mess with me and don't say anything back to me. I'm going to get what I want, you know. There's others that are quiet and reserved. There's ones that's thankful. There's other ones that tell us every time that food's trash and, you know, you know, and that kind of thing. And then somebody else comes in behind them and says, no, don't listen to them. We're thankful. We're grateful that y'all come. But see, we all have a, a, a need to be accepted, to be loved. And when we don't, uh, you know, when we don't depend on God and let God fill that need, what happens is we develop a self-life, an independent way of living apart from him, that we can do it. Just, you know, you don't need God. You know, Ted, Ted Turner once said that, that Christians are weak. And that's true. We're weak in ourselves, but we're strong in him. <laughs> he's made, we're made strong. or In our weakness, he's made strong. Right. Glory to God. What he didn't realize, he's the one that's weak. Amen. And I hope, I don't know if he's met Jesus, but I hope he does. I don't even know if he's still alive. Is he still alive? If he doesn't, I believe, I hope he, hope he finds Jesus. So, real quick, 
Flesh is a way that you and I have learned to meet our needs for love, acceptance, and worth. It has learned independence from God. After we become Christians, the flesh still has a powerful pull on us. It is the memory of patterns of how we met our basic needs. It is what has worked for us in the past. Y'all listen to this. See, it's a learned independence from God. After we become Christians, the flesh still has a powerful pull on us. It is the memory of patterns of how we met our basic needs. It is what has worked for us in the past. And when we face stress and pressure, we can revert to the old way of living. Flesh is what makes the world go around. It's what drives Olympic athletes, movie stars, soccer moms, corporate moguls, everyone. Is there anyone that this isn't true of? No. These God-given needs must be met. And the quest to do so drives most people. An article, and that's what made me think about Miss Michelle, an article in the Atlanta, Atlanta Journal examined the inner life of homeless people. Had they perhaps given up on having those basic needs met? Impossible. That's the way God made them. The article reported that there's an emerging subculture of homeless people who have created their own identity and language. They don't have any other way of making themselves unique. It tends to set themselves aside and they feel they have an identity among themselves. Now we're going to close right here with this. The way we meet our basic needs for love and worth is where we find our identity. I'm going to read it again. The way we meet our basic needs for love and worth is where we find our identity. It is where we find our self-esteem. It's actually is where we find life. But true life is only found in Jesus, who is life and came to give us life. <laughs> true identity, or, but true life is found only in Jesus, who is life and came to give us life. Sadly, nearly all the world, as well as many Christians, are looking for life and love in all the wrong places. As we grow up, we face problems and go through daily life. We get messages about who we are from parents, teachers, friends, bosses, and others. At first, they only result in feelings about ourselves, but they quickly turn into what we believe about ourselves and who we believe we are. As a result, we all develop false identities. These identities are come, uh, come from the world, from family environment, from hurts, from trauma, our flesh, from ways we try to live and our own resources, and the devil, who constantly accuses us and tells us lies about ourselves and about God and about what we need in life. They, they shape all our life and everything that we do. As we try to meet our needs by ourselves, we develop ways of living based on false identities. And it goes through and shows a chart there. We'll look at that next week. We always behave consistently with how we perceive ourselves, who we believe ourselves to be. We strongly think, or we wrongly think it is the way we truly are, which is reinforced by one of Satan's biggest lies. What we do determines who we are. Amen. We're going to stop right there. So one of Satan's biggest lies is that our identity is determined by what we do, not by who Christ has made us. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you're getting something out of that. I know I'm sticking purposely close to the book. Like I said, he's a, the expert in the subject I'm learning. So we're sticking close to that and uh, just also to stay close on our time. So, uh, be ready next week. Bring your book back with you. If you have money to give the donation toward the book, you can do that at the back uh, book table. And you want me to receive the offering? Or you, if you like to give tonight, uh, or you, this is your night to give your tithe and offering, then if you slip up your hand, the ushers will get an envelope to you. Don't forget the resources we got on the back table.
And if you got any questions uh, that you'd like to talk to me about, uh, any of the resources I mentioned, just come see me. I'll be glad to do that. Uh, like I said, on his website, he's got a tremendous amount of resources there. You can go watch podcasts, videos of things that uh, they've done in the past. I think in 2013, they recorded uh, two different webinars. They've got them on video and the resources you can print, the study notes to them. Uh, so it's just a tremendous amount of, of tools there that are available. But I'm excited. Amen. Amen. We've been set free, and I'm excited about the opportunity to set others free. And, you know, and we don't need to be bashful when you got the answer. You don't need to be bashful about it. We don't need to sit back and be quiet. But we need to shout it from the housetops and the rooftops that we've been made free in Christ. And we need to tell, I mean, if we know somebody's in bondage and we have the answer, then I believe we're held responsible to give them the answer. Amen. Glory to God.